With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. You should consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence and base all financial decisions on your specific situation. The show is furnished by Edelman Financial Services, a registered investment advisor. Rick Edelman is also a registered representative and principal of Sanders Morris Harris, an affiliated broker-dealer member FINRA SIPC. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Now. Here's Rick Edelman. Welcome to the program and a happy weekend to you. Rick Edelman here on The Truth About Money, inviting you to join the party if you've got any questions about investments, taxes, mortgages, insurance, college planning, retirement planning, buying houses, leasing cars, getting out of debt, you name it, whatever you want to talk about, we're going to cover right here on the program today. 888-PLAN-RICK. Dial me up right here, right now at 888-752-6742. You can get in line behind Frank. He'll be first, and I'll take your question as well. I want to mention a couple of words to you as we begin our opening here. Loss and volatility. Investors learned a really important lesson in 2008, among many other lessons. We learned that there is a really big difference between loss and volatility. In the old days, meaning prior to 2008, investors tended to be worried terribly about losing money in their investments. And they equated the market's ups and downs with the risk of loss. Well, what 2008 demonstrated to us, or rather the aftermath of 2008, when the markets recovered starting on March 9 of 2009, and we now know the Dow Jones Industrial Average has more than doubled since its market lows in the 2008 credit crisis, investors began to realize that volatility isn't the same thing as loss. And we should therefore recognize that investing is more about volatility evaluation than loss aversion. Because, yeah, if you sold in 08, you lost a lot of money. But if you hung in there and tolerated the volatility, the losses were recovered. Keep that point in mind as I share with you some additional information. This week, the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average both closed at record highs. It was the 16th record high for the S&P 500, the 8th for the Dow. The Dow's been up three weeks in a row, five of the past six, all of this on terrific economic news. We added over 200,000 jobs in May. Household net worth is now $82 trillion. Yeah, the total accumulated value of all the money and assets held by all the households in America is now $13 trillion more than the previous peak of 2007. Pretty darn exciting. Auto sales, more good news. We sold so many cars in the month of May. We're running at an annual rate of 16.7 million. That is, more cars will be sold this year than at any time since 2007. Further evidence that we have well washed away the economic losses of the 2008 credit crisis. And finally, the Institute for Supply Management, they take a look at how much inventory corporate America is building in its factories and in its showrooms. 
the uh, non-manufacturing index is now at the highest reading in more than a year. All of this demonstrating continued economic recovery. We all know it's a lot slower than we would have liked, but it is still nonetheless very, very good. And as reported, the Federal Reserve notes that American wealth is at a new high as of the first quarter of this year. Pretty darn exciting. But there's another set of statistics that is really interesting, and I'm going to refer to it as the VIX, V-I-X. This is the Volatility Index. Remember I mentioned a moment ago the difference between focusing on losses versus volatility. The VIX is at its lowest level since 2006. We have gone 74 straight weeks. That's more than a year, nearly a year and a half, where the VIX has been lower than at any time since 2006 and 2007. You remember in 2008 and 2009 the incredible volatility we had in the stock market? Remember when the Dow would jump 700 points one day and fall 800 points the next? That incredible volatility scared investors. Nobody likes to see that kind of volatility. It creates uncertainty and fear, causing a lot of folks to sell and flee the markets. Well, over the past almost year and a half, volatility has been absent. Have you noticed that the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up maybe 50 points today and down 25 tomorrow and up 32 the next day, not hundreds of points per day, but just dribbles and drabs. It hasn't been very significant at all. The, the seas have been very calm for such a long period now that it, we've gotten very used to this. We're not, we're not seeing volatility in the bond market either. Not only are stocks very low in volatility, the same thing is true in bonds. The difference in the spread, the interest rates between corporate bonds and treasuries is less than one percentage point. In other words, investors normally demand a much higher return from corporate bonds because they're so much riskier than government bonds. But lately, there's very little difference in the returns between corporates and governments. William Dudley, the president of the Federal Reserve Board, doesn't like this idea. Most of the Fed officials are actually worried that volatility is so low. This is so funny. Investors are loving the fact that the seas are calm. They're loving the fact that returns are more stable, that the volatility of the 2008-2009 period is long gone behind us. And yet, why would Fed officials say that they actually believe that low volatility is bad news? Here's what William Dudley said. He's the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And he said, quote, I'm a little bit nervous that people are taking too much comfort in this low volatility period. As a consequence, they'll take more risk than what's really appropriate. That was William Dudley, the president of the Federal Reserve of New York. Richard Fisher, who's president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, said, quote, I don't think low volatility is healthy. Isn't it fascinating that these two key members of the Fed are both saying that while consumers have grown comfortable with the stock market's calmness, with its steady rise, the S&P hitting a new high 16 times this year in a slow and steady, peaceful way, 
while investors are eating it up, the Fed is actually worried about this. In fact, here's a uh, audio clip from the Fed chair, Janet Yellen. Here's what she said. I'm so nervous for you. And everybody here is. We're nervous for you. I was just in the bathroom and everybody's talking about how crazy this is. Well, okay, maybe that wasn't really Janet Yellen, but... Uh... <laughs> But, but you get the point. There is a, a really fascinating dichotomy here going on that ordinary investors are complacent, comfortable with the fact that, hey, the markets haven't been in the news lately, other than the occasional headline, hey, the market's at an all-time high again. The volatility seems to be gone. And the Fed is very worried that you are falling into a false confidence of complacency. You are forgetting the fact that the markets can, in fact, be very volatile. And it's causing you to place too much money into the stock market. Might that be affecting you? And here's the irony. If you're saying to yourself, but I want to put my money into the stock market because that's where the bulk of the profits occur, you're missing out on some important, fundamental understanding of how the financial markets work. Sure, since 1926, the S&P 500 stock index has gained an average of 10% per year. It is the highest average annual return of any asset class. You would have made more money since 1926 in stocks than anywhere else. More money than in real estate. More money than in gold. More money than in bonds. More money than in oil. More money than in jewelry or art or wine or gold coins or rare stamps. You would have made more money in the stock market since 1926, according to Ibbotson Associates, than any other asset class. And so investors say, hey, since I would make more money in stocks than anywhere else, I need to put my money into stocks. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky. Lucky, just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details but you're missing something, you're forgetting something. While it's true that you would have earned 10% per year since 1926 in a 100% stock portfolio, do you know what else is also true? That if you had a 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks and 40% bonds, you would have had half the volatility of the stock market, half the level of risk, and your returns would have been not 10%, but 8.7. In other words, you would have had 90% of the return with only 50% of the rest. Diversification is the key. Don't allow today's low volatility environment to cause you to false confidently invest too much in stocks. Yes, you need to own stocks, but you need to remain diversified as well. You'll get the returns you want without the risks that you also want to avoid. Talk to me about more about how to manage your money successfully. Call me right here right now, 888-PLAN-RICK, or visit me at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Click that red button. I want to talk to an advisor. Your phone calls when we come back, 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. 
More with the host of the award-winning PBS TV series, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here taking your telephone calls, Triple A Plan. Rick, we're going to take our first call from Frank. He's in Staten Island. Welcome to the program, Frank. You're on the air. Hi, Rick. Good morning, and uh, thank you so much for taking my call. And I'm hoping you can help me, uh, my family, with a decision. We uh, currently have an uh, investment-slash-rental uh, condo in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and uh, we'd like your advice on it. Uh, we bought it in 1997, $175,000, currently a mortgage of a balance of 98000 and uh, probably could get about 135000 for it now if we sell it. I'm 59, looking at retirement, a city job. Uh, currently, with the depreciation loss, I'm probably losing a few hundred a year on it. We use it about two weeks a, a year, mainly because we have to. Uh, we call it a working vacation. I go down there, touch up paint, looking at what, <laughs> what went wrong through the year with the rentals. I've never heard the phrase, for, the phrase, Frank, a working vacation. And that is so eloquent. People have no idea what it li- what it's like to own a second home. Because you think you're going to go to the beach and have fun. You're right. You're going to get into all the maintenance and repairs and upkeep that you didn't do the other 50 weeks of the year on the place. Right. And what I'm, I'm looking at now is the... Uh, you know, we bought it at 175. Maybe I get 135. But now depreciating it uh, for the last 16 years, uh, I'd be looking at actually a gain on on taxes. Yeah. So that's my concern. But I, I wanted to get your opinion. What what I just told you? Uh, any suggestion? What would you, what would you? Well, let me put it this way. What would you do? Sell it. Sell it. Yeah, and the reason I—I mean, you described it. You go there twice a uh, two weeks a year because you have to. Yeah. Really, you really want another job? You're going to traipse all the way from New York to the Carolinas to take care of a house you have no interest in, other than preserving the economic value of it. I'd sell it. Um, recognize that not every investment works out. If it, you didn't mention a thing about lifestyle. You didn't talk about the fact you love to spend all summer there, that the kids love it there, and it's a big part of the family lifestyle. You didn't say anything about that. You just talked about it in strictly economic terms. And in strictly economic terms, it's a lousy investment. Sell it. Get rid of it. Get rid of the albatross. Eliminate the burden from a lifestyle perspective. Take the whatever cash you can measly get out of this after paying the taxes you're going to owe and reinvest it somewhere else that will genuinely provide the economic return you're seeking. Now, it will show a, a gain on my taxes, I imagine, because of the depreciation through the years? That's likely, yes. But remember, that's not a horribly, totally bad thing. It's it's simply recapture of the tax breaks you have accumulated annually over the past 16 years. Uh, so, yes, you will likely have a gain because due to depreciation, your cost basis is lower. So even though you paid 175 and it's only worth 135 the IRS will argue that your cost basis is now below 135 so it looks like on paper you have a gain. But that's because you've enjoyed lots of tax deductions over the past 16 years. So you're giving back some, maybe all, of those tax deductions. In the long run, it's ultimately a wash. Don't allow the fact that you're going to have to write a check to the IRS, stop you from doing this. Remember, you're looking at it from a hundred and seventy five grand purchase price to a one thirty five grand sell price. You gotta look at this fact. You only owe a hundred grand on the mortgage. 
So from a cash flow perspective, you're good to the tune of $35,000. Your tax bill will not be thirty-five grand. you are going to walk away with cash in your pocket. I was sort of holding it, thinking that the market might go up there. What, what's your thought? That's that? not investing. That's speculating. And speculating. keep in mind, even if you're right that the market does go up in value, the alternative is alternative investments. Might they go up in value over the same period of time at an even faster rate? So, so cost. you're not giving me any justification, Frank, for keeping the property. And in fact, I think you already know that, which is why you called me in the first place. You've already made the decision that the right thing is to sell. You're just looking for me to confirm it for you and give you that little nudge you need to take the leap. You've climbed Maybe the ladder. Right. You've stepped out over across the diving board. And before you jump into the water, you just want me to nudge you a little bit to get you to do what you've already made the decision you know you need to do. Okay, thank you, Rick. I'm right, aren't I, Frank? You're probably right. You're yeah. always right. <laughs> okay. That's why I call. Sell the house, Frank. Okay. All right. Have Thank a great day. You too. Thanks for calling. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money. You know, that's what I really do as a financial advisor. I guess if we were to summarize, what does a financial planner do? My colleagues and I would say that we nudge our clients. No, we're not a nudge. That's a little different. My grandmother would accuse me of being a nudge. No, I'm not I'm not a nudge. I'm not harassing you. I'm not bugging you. We're going to nudge you and you, not N O O, nudge you into doing what you know you need to do. You just need a little help in doing it. You know you're supposed to save more of your income for your future, so we give you a little bit of a nudge to increase the amount you're saving in your retirement plan at work. You know you should get a will. So we give you a little nudge to help you set up the appointment with the estate attorney. You know you should refinance your mortgage to get a better rate and better terms. So we help you call the mortgage broker or loan officer. So we we give you the little push you need to do what you know you need to do, to do what you want to do anyway, And as a result, we get you to do it better, we get you to do it faster, we get you to do it more effectively, more efficiently, at lower risk, at lower cost, at ease of burden. I I guess it's kind of like dealing with a trainer when working out. I find that uh, I have a trainer three times a week, and he pushes me in my workouts to a degree I know for sure I would not push myself without him. And as a result, I get a better workout and I get better physical results from it. He nudges me to pedal a little faster, run a little longer, lift a little heavier. And the results are better than I would obtain on my own. So, come on, hire a nudge. Just make sure you don't accidentally hire a nudge. More of your questions when we come back here on The Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Got some fascinating statistics for you as well on the very question of retirement plans. Do you have money in an orphaned, dormant account at a 401k where you used to work? You're not alone. I'll tell you all about it when we come back on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple H, Plan Rick. Visit us at ricedelman.com. founder of one of the nation's largest independent investment advisory firms coming up on the rick edelman show
There's more than $1 trillion in old, orphaned, dormant retirement accounts. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here on The Truth About Money. One in two American workers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. One and two. Odds are you or the person sitting next to you has money in a retirement plan at a company where you no longer work in fact the typical american worker has five of them does that apply to you too do you have money from an old employer you left that job 20 years ago but you left the money alone in your 403b or 401k or thrift savings plan if you were with the federal government for a while maybe a 457 plan and municipal employment and Cerulli Associates says that by 2016, on average, more money will come out of retirement plans than go in. Why? Because baby boomers are retiring. And retiring in such large numbers that they're beginning to make withdrawals to support themselves in retirement. And those withdrawals will be greater than the deposits that younger workers are making into their retirement accounts. So I want to ask you the question, do you have money in an old dormant account that you haven't given any thought of in years, or you have thought about it, but you don't know what to do about it? Or are you one of those baby boomers who is going to soon be in the category of those making withdrawals out of the account to generate retirement income for yourself? These are two of the reasons that you need to come to my new seminar based on my brand new number one best-selling book, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. You'll learn how to invest current contributions, how to invest the money already in your account, how to handle those dormant retirement accounts, target date funds, choosing between the deductible and the Roth, converting to the Roth, required minimum distributions, generating income in retirement, handling beneficiary designations, all this and more. The seminar is $15 a person, $25 a couple. If you attend, you'll get a free copy of my brand new book, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. Thousands have attended the seminar already. Now's your opportunity. This week, we'll be doing the seminar in Ashburn, Virginia, Uniondale, Staten Island, and Manhattan in New York, Novi in Michigan, Woodland Hills, California, and in Denver. Next week, we'll be in Alexandria, Costa Mesa, Rocky Hill, Connecticut, Burlington, Massachusetts, Richmond, and Conshohocken, PA. Go to rickedelman.com, ricedelman.com to get all the info about that, and you'll learn how you, too, can improve your retirement prospects by managing your accounts correctly. Let's head off to Washington State. Katie's on the phone. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the program. How are you? 
good, Rick. Good morning. Um, I'm wanting to know what you think of variable annuities. Well, it's contextual. Uh, it depends on your circumstances like anything else. I will tell you that generally speaking, we're not fans. And okay. our attitude has changed over the last 20 years. We used to be fans, but the products have changed dramatically over the last couple of decades, and that has caused us to change our opinion of them. Today, our attitude is that these products are generally too expensive relative to the benefits that they provide. So if you don't already have money in an annuity, we generally don't advise that you obtain one. Now, people who sell these annuities are quick to tout the sales pitch uh, benefits, and these products are designed to have a lot of uh, attractive uh, sales pitch behind them. Uh, the profits grow tax-deferred, they say. They guarantee, in some cases, that you can't lose money. Uh, right. They um, they give you the opportunity to earn the returns of the stock market. They give you lots of benefits, but they don't talk about the downside. For example, these things can be uh, 4%, 3 to 4% in total annual cost compared to three-tenths of a percent for an exchange-traded fund. Uh, they right. offer well, you death benefit or living benefit guarantees, but these are also at a substantial cost. In many cases, a guarantee that you don't need because it's the bad scenario isn't going to happen anyway. So we find that they are generally high commission products, which gives the salesman a big motivation to promote them to you. They are often promoted at free lunch and free dinner seminars uh, as an inducement enticement to get you to buy the product. And we find for most people that is not in your best interest to buy them. Oh, fantastic. You, you're affirming uh, my husband's and I, my uh, thought. We, the, the variable annuity that um, our investment counselor was suggesting is at 3%. And I even told him, I said, that is extremely high, and it would be um, part of our retirement, you know, the, the amount of money we've invested, which is a large sum. And he was suggesting 30 to 40% of our investments that we already have with them, which would be a huge, huge number to be put in this variable annuity, and um, I just am not, I, I just thought it would might have been a marketing tool also. Yeah, did he share with you his compensation? Uh, well, he's, they said 3%, but... but no, 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 but, no, no, um, no, no, that, that's the annual cost. No, he, oh, yeah, he, he said he doesn't, they don't get any compensation, uh, which I didn't understand. Really? That. He works for uh, free? Well, that's kind of where I am at. And it's through an, an, another company. So he, he is another company that, and I can't even remember this, it's a very large company. It's not like TD Ameritrade or anything, not that company, but another large well, investment company. Your suspicions, your suspicions, Katie, are well-founded. Any, It's a valid question to ask any advisor, and never be embarrassed, never be ashamed, never be hesitant to ask this question. What is your compensation? It is a very fair question because their compensation is coming from you, period. If you don't buy, they don't earn any money. End of story. Well, that's exactly. That's where I just didn't understand where, what, what they were getting from it. Right. And we, so we provide um, our clients in writing our compensation, and it is based on a fee, not a commission. So we aren't paid based on uh, the trades you do or the products you buy. Uh, the fee is simply based on the value of your account. 
and that puts us in a great situation with our clients because it eliminates the conflict of interest. We're no longer compensated to get you to buy something, so we're we're not suffering that conflict of interest. And your goal is to have your account value grow in value, so is ours, because our fee is based right. on the account value. So we're, we're aligned in our economic interests, and that's the proper way to have the right relationship. Uh, okay, so l- let me ask you this. So I, we'd have to pay 3% or the annual percentage rate on top of the fee that uh, would be charged to us from our uh, account, account, investment counselor. That's what you're saying? It depends on how he's paid. In some cases, okay. yes. Okay. It is quite possible yet that the answer to that is yes, that you would pay. See, there are two fees. You have to understand this. There, there are two fees when dealing with the investment world. There's the fee of the investment. If you're buying a stock or a bond, a mutual fund, an exchange-traded fund, an annuity product, an insurance product, there is a fee associated with the purchase of the product. Second, Correct. there's a fee of the advisor. So we charge our clients a fee for our advice, and separately is the fee for the investment that the client buys. So we work very hard to make sure that the fee for the investment is as low as possible so that the client is saving as much money as we can. So our clients are typically paying three-tenths of a percent, maybe four-tenths of a percent in annual cost for the investments that we recommend. That's very different from the 3% that your annuity is going to cost, that your advisor pitched. So it's important you understand the all-in costs, and you should ask that question to the advisor. How much do you get paid, and how much do the investments cost me? What is the total all-in cost I will incur to work with you? And you need to know that information, and if the advisor is unwilling to put it in writing, unwilling to disclose it in advance and claims, oh, I don't get paid for this, or you don't pay me, or the fee is paid by somebody else, all of that is nonsense. You're dealing with someone who is not ethical, not responsible, and not being honest with you. Okay. Okay. And that's what I will I will um, follow up and check it out with, um, with, with him. I appreciate that. So, But all in all, your variable annuity, your thoughts on it are kind of like, mm, no. We uh, offhandedly know to determine and ascertain in your situation, does it have any appropriate position as part of your portfolio? We'd want to take a look at your own situation. So I would encourage you to get a second opinion. Don't just take this guy's advice, but compare his advice to somebody else's. You're welcome to call our office uh, and chat with one of my advisors. We can take a look at your situation and the recommendations made by the other advisor and and tell you, suggest to you whether or not that advice is good advice. If not, what we would recommend as an alternative. If your surgeon said, I got to cut your leg off, you would go get a second opinion before you let him do that. You would do it with health care. You should do it with your financial care as well. Okay. That sounds good. And do you have an office in the Seattle area? Uh, we uh, don't have an office in Washington State, but we do in Northern California, which would be the closest to you. And we work with thousands of clients nationwide, often over the phone through uh, email, and uh, we can take care of things for you very efficiently. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Rick. Thanks for calling, Katie. I appreciate it. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money, Triple Eight plan rick You can dial us up anytime, just as Katie did. Or visit us online at rickedelman.com. You can click that red button, I want to talk to an advisor, or the green button, and deal with Edelman Online, where you can access our investment management online without any human intervention. 
Back with more of your calls when we return on The Truth About Money. I'm Rick Edelman. Stay with us. Don't come up short on your retirement. Get a free 401k review at rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. We're going to hang in Seattle. We were talking with Kate. Now we're talking with Nick. Welcome to the program, Nick. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? Terrific. Thanks for calling. How can I help you? Um, so I'm 24. My wife is 20. We have a few thousand dollars in the bank account, but um, I would just like to start saving for our future, for retirement, for um kids college when we have kids and i was just wondering where you would start out well nick aren't you aware that at age 20 and 24 you're not allowed to ask questions about saving for college and retirement you're supposed to be thinking about friday night beer money nick you're not supposed to be acting like a mature responsible adult uh carefully and methodically focusing on your future well you get the uh the applause of the day nick that's really terrific um your parents raised you well um, awesome, thank you. So you you're going to grow up, you and your wife. Uh, not that you have all, haven't already grown up, but you're going to age, shall we say, uh, and you're going to be very financially successful. I can tell you that right now because everybody listening right now, many of our listeners are in their fifties uh, and older. Uh, some are forties, whatever. But all of them are saying, "Boy, I hate this guy." <laughs> Boy, all of them are saying. I wish I'd started 20 years earlier, so you've really got the sweet spot here, Nick. Congratulations. So I'm really glad you're focusing on this. Let me ask you this question. Are you participating in your retirement plan at work? I am. Um, I haven't worked here too long. Uh, I'm putting in, I think, 4%, and they're matching right now. I want um, you to increase I... that to 10%. Okay. Is your wife working? Uh, she is. She doesn't have a 401k at her work. Then she needs to create an IRA where she okay. can contribute $5,000 of her income into an okay. IRA in her name. Okay? So that's the first mm-hmm. couple of things that I want the two of you to do. And notice that both of those accounts are targeted for retirement. Uh, you mentioned kids in the future and ultimately college costs. Do you currently own a home? I do not. Is that a, a plan, a, a desire of yours as well? Definitely, for sure. Okay. Notice that everything I've said so far is targeted at retirement, even though clearly you have a shorter-term goal of buying a house and an intermediate goal of paying for college. Both of those are going to come prior to retirement. Because of that, some young folks figure that their priorities ought to be, after they get past Friday night beer, uh, on buying a car and then buying a house, later worrying about kids after they have kids, and ultimately, eventually, worrying about retirement when retirement is on the horizon in their 50s. And they're all wrong, those folks who feel that way. The best tool, the most powerful weapon you have for saving for retirement is time. You now have 40 years 
to save for retirement. If you squander some of those years and you delay saving for retirement until you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s, you will fail to accumulate nearly as much money as you need to and nearly as much money as you're able to. So that's why I want you to max out your retirement plan at work, at least 10% of your pay into the plan right now. I want your wife to create an IRA and she should strongly consider quitting her job and joining a company that does offer a 401k. Because the retirement benefit at work is of vital importance. Many people focus more on the career itself or the paycheck itself or what have you. We need to instead recognize the vital importance of saving for retirement. So that's number one. Number two would be to eliminate credit card debts, if you and your wife have any. Step number three would be to build cash reserves. And I'd want you and your wife to maintain at least a year's worth of spending in cash to be able to tide yourselves over if you had a job loss or major financial expense unexpectedly or what have you. And then step number four would be to go ahead and start saving for the house and for college, for the kids yet to be. That's the four-step process, but I cannot underestimate, I cannot uh, overemphasize the vital importance of saving for retirement as a first primary goal. And it's shocking to folks in their 20s to hear that because people in their 20s can't possibly envision their retirement. Number one, you're immortal. You can't envision dying. And second, you love what you do. You're new in your career and you can't imagine a period where you'll ever not want to do it. Trust me, in your 50s, your attitude will change about both of those subjects, your mortality and your attitude about your career. So take full advantage of it today by focusing on retirement today. And if you want our help in setting that up, we're happy to help you. Our account minimum is only $5,000. We have the lowest account minimum that I know of anywhere in the financial services uh, community in the uh, registered investment advisory field. Most advisors require a half a million dollars or a million dollars. And of course, we have a lot of clients like that as well as you would expect. But our attitude is we'd really like to help younger people create wealth, not merely help the wealthy maintain wealth. So if you're young, just starting out, or if you're middle-aged and just starting over, which happens to a lot of us for marital reasons, health reasons, job reasons, we're ready to help you. Don't worry that you don't have any money. I want you to have the desire to create wealth, not the prerequisite of having wealth for you to be our client. So if you want our help, we're happy to help you. Just call us at 888-PLAN-REC anytime during the week or visit us online at rickedelman.com and click that red button. We'll help you if you are willing to, to take our advice. I mentioned a few minutes ago that we have uh, some seminars coming up this week and next week on retirement savings. Uh, a lot of that seminar is focused for young folks in their 20s and 30s on how to contribute even when you think you can't afford to and where to invest the money. For folks in their solidly 40s and 50s, how to invest the money you've accumulated. And for those approaching retirement or in retirement, how do you generate income in retirement? That seminar is uh, underway right now, as I mentioned a, a little bit ago or here on the program. In addition to that, uh, I just thought I'd mention that, uh, as you probably know, we are very big supporters of nurses and the nursing profession. Gene and I uh, helped fund the Edelman Center for Nursing at Inova Hospital Foundation, and we offer a free financial plan, comprehensive financial planning, for free if you're a nurse. So if you're a nurse, call us at 888 Rec. Let us know you're a nurse, and we will do a full free financial plan for you. And we're now reaching out to nurses through their professional associations. I'm happy to announce that Edelman Financial is now a partner 
to the Association of Women's Health Obstetric and Neonatal Nurses with 23,000 members. We're going to be presenting a session at AWAN's annual conference in Orlando, June 16th. I'm also going to be the keynote speaker for the National Association for Home Care and Hospice, their annual conference in Phoenix in October. They have four keynote speakers, one keynote speaker for each day of their conference. Their four keynote speakers are Hillary Clinton, Jeb Bush, former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, and me. So I'm really excited that we're going to be able to get in front of so many thousands of nurses. We're huge fans of nurses, as we said, and uh, happy to help you if you are in the nursing profession. Triple H Plan Rick uh, to give back a little bit to those who devote their careers to caring for others. I'm Rick Edelman. We're going to take more of your telephone calls when we come back after this break. And I've got a lot of other news for you, including a fundamental mortgage question. Are you going to pay more in interest over the life of your loan than what it cost to buy the house in the first place? I'll answer that question for you when we come back. Stay with us here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple H Plan Rick. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. RickEdelman.com. Providing personal finance advice for 25 years. This is The Rick Edelman Show. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for hanging around this half hour. Ron, we're going to get to you first up. One question I've got for you here on the program, 888-PLAN-RICK. You can dial in as well and get in line. We'll talk to you on the air, 888 752-6742. Here's a question I got about your mortgage. Are you going to pay more in interest over the life of the loan than you actually paid for the purchase price in the first place? Well, I know you're saying to yourself, not on a 15-year loan, but maybe that's true on a 30-year loan. Maybe, in fact, you're saying it's definitely true on a 30-year loan. Well, let me ask you this. On a 4%, 30-year loan, will you pay more in interest than what you paid to buy the house in the first place? And the answer is no, you will not pay more in interest than you paid for the purchase price of the home in the first place. This used to be true when interest rates were much higher. But at a 4% interest rate, no. The interest you're paying is so low, you will not pay as much as the purchase price of the house. In fact, even at a 5% mortgage, you will not pay more in interest than the purchase price. Even at 5.5%, you won't. At around 6% mortgage rate, yeah, the statement would be true. 
this kind of information I present to you to demonstrate that possibly what you think you know about mortgages isn't necessarily accurate. And this is why we're going to be creating, over the next couple of months, some new focus on mortgages and home ownership. Because let's face it, your home is the largest transaction you've ever engaged in. It's the largest single check ever written, right, to buy that home. The economic implications on your financial plan your entire life are profound, and yet there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of outdated notions. And I want to make sure you get the info correct. So watch for more info coming up uh, in the next couple of months here on the program about mortgages and home ownership. Meanwhile, we're heading to Virginia. Ron, patiently waiting on the phone. How are you, Ron? Thanks for hanging in there. Thanks for taking my call, Rick. Uh, my question is, what process do you recommend to go about using to shop for a mortgage? Oh, pretty much like any other purchase. You want to shop around. You want a comparison shop. Uh, with uh, two or three, at least, different uh, lenders or mortgage brokers. I want you to understand the difference between a loan officer and a mortgage broker. A loan officer works for a lender, works for a bank. And uh, picture like a car dealer. Picture a bank as a, as a Ford dealer. The loan officer of a bank is like the car salesman at a Ford dealer, meaning that as the Ford showroom is only going to sell you a Ford, they're not going to sell you a Chevy, that salesman is only going to sell you a Ford. The loan officer of a bank is only going to sell you the products that his bank offers. So he's an employee of the bank, and he's going to sell you that bank's products. Uh, if you, so if you're going to deal with a loan officer, you need to shop at two or three different banks to compare the interest rate that they're charging, the uh, other fees and expenses in addition to the interest rate, uh, reputation and quality. We all know the mortgage process stinks. It's lots of paperwork, lots of time, demand of lots of data, and it's a nuisance. Everybody hates the process. So how smoothly will they make your life in this exercise, or are they going to really make it awful for you? So you want to evaluate two or three different banks and loan officers on that basis. A mortgage broker, on the other hand, is someone who works independently. Often they own their own company or they may work for an independent company. And instead of working for one bank, they may represent many banks, dozens in some cases. So they're going to shop around for you to the bank that's going to offer the best deal for your circumstances. So you don't need to shop around with mortgage brokers to the same degree that you shop around with loan officers because the mortgage broker will do the shopping on your behalf. Again, you want to know about the reputation of the mortgage broker, how likely are uh, to deliver good service and responsiveness and all that kind of stuff, minimizing the paperwork and the hassles and so on. Uh, keep in mind when you are shopping for a mortgage that in both cases, whether you're dealing with a loan officer or a mortgage broker, all of these folks are paid by commission. In other words, the, their compensation is directly related to the size of the loan you get. The bigger the mortgage, the more money they earn. Therefore, there's an inherent conflict of interest. If you don't get the mortgage from them, or if you don't get a big mortgage from them, it reduces their comp. And that creates a conflict of interest. One of the key questions associated with this exercise is how big a mortgage should you get? Should you get a 30-year loan or 15? Should you get a fixed rate loan or adjustable rate loan? Should you get a, make a big down payment or a small down payment? 
And you have to recognize that because the loan officer and mortgage broker, because the real estate agent as well, are all equally conflicted. I mean, the real estate agent wants you to spend the most money on the house because their commission is based on the the, the, the value of the house. So you buy a $500,000 house, that real estate agent makes twice as much money as if you bought a $250,000 house. So for that reason, be suspect when taking financial advice from real estate agents or people in the mortgage business because of the conflict of interest. Instead, you should make your first phone call to a financial planner. Let us tell you, after our analysis of your circumstances, let us tell you how much of a house you can afford and what type of mortgage is best. It has to do with your income and your expenses, how long you plan on living in the house, uh, and a variety of other factors to determine whether you should pay 500 grand for a house or 300 grand, whether you should get a big down payment or a small down payment, whether you should get a fixed rate loan or an adjustable rate loan, whether you should pay points or not, and so on. By dealing with an independent, objective, fee-based advisor, we're removed from the transaction. So we don't have a conflict of interest of telling you to do it one way versus another, and you're more likely to get advice that is in your financial best interest, as opposed to the transaction-oriented players in the, in the game of the real estate agent and the mortgage broker. Uh, also, I would suggest that you, after talking with the financial planner, you then talk to the mortgage broker, not the real estate agent. Many people, the first thing they do is they talk to the real estate agent. Big, big mistake. Because you go to the real estate agent and you tell them how much of a house you want and the kind of house that you want and they take you on tour and you check out a lot of houses and before you know it, bam, you just found the house of your dreams. But what if you really can't afford it? Now you're anchored emotionally in wanting this house. Your spouse really wants the house. Now you've got a problem. So what you want to do is go to the financial planner first who tells you, how much of a house you can afford, and what kind of loan package you ought to get. Then you go to the mortgage broker, who will get you pre-qualified for the loan. So before you start house hunting, before you talk to the real estate agent or realtor, you now are pre-approved for the loan. So when you do find the house of your dreams within the budget context established by the financial planner, you will have a greater likelihood of actually winning the bid on buying that house because you're able to say to the seller, I'm pre-approved for the loan, which will dramatically accelerate the closing date, which is what the seller wants. The seller doesn't want to have to worry about whether or not you'll qualify for the loan. They don't want to have to wait the 60 or 90 days to find out. Knowing you're pre-qualified gives them a higher degree of confidence and a shorter period of closing the transaction. So that's the order you do it in. Uh, Ron, you want to talk to a financial planner first, followed by the mortgage broker, followed by the real estate agent. Very good. Listen, thank you very much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for calling uh, anytime. Triple eight plan Rick. You've got an individual one-off question. You need just a one piece of info. Call anytime. Don't worry about it. We take those phone calls day and night from folks all across the country without charging you. It's just our community service, giving back to you to help make sure you're making good, informed financial decisions that are in your best interest. If you need bigger, more elaborate, broader help, we'll be happy to do a free portfolio review for you. We'll look at your portfolio and tell you if the investments you own are you're paying too much or taking too much risk or suffering returns that are too low. If you need a full-blown financial plan, comprehensive, holistic, covering all aspects of your personal finances, we'll do that for you too. 
Triple Eight Plan Rec. Whatever you need, whenever you need it, we're here for you. Triple Eight Seven Five Two Sixty Seven Forty Two. Visit us at RickEdelman.com. That's RiceDelman.com. Dial me up right here right now for more phone calls. Triple Eight Plan Rec. More when we come back. For a wealth of information on personal finance, go to the education page at rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. We're uh, going to continue with some telephone calls before we do our Bitcoin and technology segments of the week. First, we're heading to Washington, D.C. Jack's on the phone. Welcome to the program, Jack. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you. Uh, I'm referring to an article that appeared in the Washington Post in the middle of May. There was a discussion about teachers' pensions, but in the course of the column, they make this statement. Under federal law, private sector employees must be eligible, eligible to retain some portion of their employer's retirement contributions once they've been employed for three years and 100% of their employer's contribution within six years. Now, I was in a defined benefit plan for five and a half years, didn't vest, no vesting. I wonder what this means. Uh, about contributions. Well, when you say that you were employed there for five and a half years with no vesting, that isn't accurate. In other words, your experience, you're trying to contrast your experience to what you read in the article, yes? Well, I, I'm not quite, quite sure what you're saying. Well, in other words, you're, you're, are you concerned as to why you were there five and a half years and did not vest? Is that your concern? No, I, I understand why I didn't vest. I didn't, I didn't have 10 years service. The uh, the fundamental rules that you read in the paper are contribution. Yeah, the, the the fundamental rules you read in the paper are correct. Basically, there are two kinds of vesting. There, one is called step. The other is called cliff. And you read it accurately in uh, in the newspaper. The Step vesting says that we're going to vest you over a period of years. Let's say that it's uh, a five-year period. We're going to vest you 20% a year for five years. If you leave after three years, you are 60% vested. If you stay all five, you become 100% vested. That's step vesting, where it takes longer to vest, but you're getting a little bit along the way each year. The alternative is cliff vesting, which says you're not going to vest anything in the first year. The other guys under the step, they would have gotten at least 20% of the vesting, but you're not going to get a thing for the first year. You're not going to get a thing for the second year, but by year three, you get it all. So you get a you get nothing until year three, at which point you get 100% vesting. So different employers choose different methods for different motivational reasons. Um, do I want to entice my employee to stay with me at least three years so that they get nothing until then, but at three years they get it all? Or do I really want to give them uh, an incentive to stay with me for five years or ten years or what have you? So it just varies depending on how the employer lays out the plan. Uh, once you meet the employer's tests, meaning length of service, then you vest, meaning you are uh, irrevocably entitled to receive the money that is being promised to you. If you don't meet the test, meaning you don't stay long enough to qualify, then you don't get anything. And it's uh, pretty much that simple. So I hope that clarifies it for you. You can learn more about pensions and the vesting process in my book, The Truth About Money. So I invite you, Jack, to, uh, to check out that book. 
Let's talk with Philip. He's in Hale Thorpe. Did I pronounce that right? He's in Maryland. Welcome to the program, Philip. Yeah, that's right. How are you? Thank, thank you, Rick. I'm doing good. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a, I think it's a really simple question, um, but my wife and I are, are at a point where we can start putting money away for retirement, and I was trying to think of some way to pay off our house and have a retirement account. And, and basically, it's can I use the IRA, the money we put in there, to pay off our house payment? No, but I'll take it a step further. Why do you want to pay off the house? Well, my thought is I don't want 30 years of interest. I want to get the house paid off as soon as possible. But my wife wants to invest in retirement, and I was just trying to merge those together. Is your wife listening to this right now? No. Well, that's too bad because she's right and you're wrong. And I had a, just blew my opportunity to give her a little you know, mark in her favor. So I'll leave I'll it to you, Philip, as to whether you want to tell her or not. But here's the here's the point. Think about this. What you just said is really profound. You just said, I would like to get rid of the mortgage faster because I don't want to pay all the interest on that mortgage. That's what you said, right? Yeah. What's the interest yeah. rate on the mortgage? Uh, 3.1. 3.1%. Do you have any money in savings and investments? Uh, I have uh, $15,000 saved up for just cash on hand. And then... Uh, I put away like five percent with my with my company, and in their retirement account at work. Yes, yeah. And where's that money invested? What kind of investments? Uh, thrift savings plan. Okay, which ones? Which choices did you pick? I I don't know. I did it a few years ago. I haven't looked at it recently. Okay. Is it possible? I think it was like the G fund. Uh, is it all in the G fund? I believe so. How yeah. old How old are you, Phil? Thirty five. Okay. Making big mistakes here with your financial planning here, Phil. I'm really glad you called. Um, the S&P 500 last year grew 25%. Your mortgage okay. is costing you 3.1. I'm not suggesting that the stock market is always going to produce a 25% return. Far from it. It's not going to do that. But we do know that since 1926, the S&P 500 has averaged 10% per year. We also know that the bond market has generated a higher return than 3% per year over uh, the, since 1926. So you, being so young at age 35, you're going to have another 30-year career, maybe 40 or even 50 years that you're going to continue to work. And that means you have a very long time horizon. Why would you want to take a dollar and use it to pay off a loan that only costs you 3.1% when you could instead take that dollar and invest it into a diversified array of assets that have the potential to generate so much of a higher rate of return. In other words, what you're focusing on, and by the way, between you and your wife, you both have good goals. One is better than the other, but they're both good. I don't want to, to suggest that what you're doing is bad. What would be bad would be doing none of the above. So your goal of paying off the house is a good goal. Her goal of accumulating money for retirement is a better goal, and here's why. You're focusing on debt elimination. She's focusing on wealth accumulation. And if in the future you were able to accumulate enough money to be able to pay off the debt, and still have money left over, do you see how you'll have your cake and eat it too? Yeah, I, I understand that. I just, 3% times 30 years, it just, it gets up, it seems like it gets up there. So, Philip, that's my concern. Philip, 5% yeah. times 30 years is a much bigger number than 3% times 30 years. 
150. Yeah, so yeah, if you, you're focusing too much on what the loan is costing you, you're not focusing on what the loan enables you to do. By having the loan, it lets you keep your cash and invest it for a higher return. You're focusing exclusively on one side of the coin, the cost. I want you to turn the coin over and focus on the benefit. And you'll discover that the benefit outweighs the cost. You're a wonderful candidate for comprehensive financial planning. You're going about it, my friend, all wrong. And you're going to cost you and your wife hundreds of thousands of dollars in lost opportunity. I'm Rick Edelman. Stay with us for more. Learn how to diversify your investments. Try Rick's free guide to portfolio selection at rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Thanks for hanging around. We're uh, taking your phone calls, Triple H Plan Rick. I want to bring to you our Bitcoin segment of the week. Here's the latest news. The SEC has charged the co-owner of two Bitcoin websites for publicly offering shares in his ventures without registering them with the SEC. You've got to watch out. Even though there's a real tremendous... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tremendous amount of interest in these notions of virtual currencies. That doesn't mean that they are equivalent to a get-rich-quick scam. So before you fall victim to something like that, make sure you check out check it out with an independent, objective, fee-based advisor for a second opinion before you make an investment. And now time for a singularity segment. Every week I bring to you on the program uh, a, a segment from my television show, which airs on public television stations weekly around the country. This week's segment from Singularity University, George Skidmore, Ph.D. What do you see what he has to say about nanotechnology? The technologist will see you now? Physicist and nanotech developer George Skidmore tells us that doctors are being replaced by technologists. I think that students that are being educated at medical schools today, are, they're being trained on all the sensor capabilities and all of, all of the technology that's available. And they will be the ones that are more, more keen to adopt it. Uh, there are research level uh, tattoo sensors that can monitor your temperature or your... What do you mean by a tattoo sensor? A tattoo sensor is... The tattoo is really just... More of those um, carnival-like tattoos. Well, I used to get as a kid. You used to they put used to it get on. A, and... Exactly. So you get a color tattoo and you put it on. Uh, there's serious research now in tattoo-type sensors that you would put on that could then monitor your body temperature, could monitor your heart rate, maybe your blood pressure, and maybe some other things. And is this also a generational shift where it's older physicians who have been practicing for 20, 30 years having a different view than those who are in medical school today? I certainly hope so. That would suggest that uh, you may see a delay in the adaption of the technology, but it seems otherwise inevitable. I definitely think it's inevitable. 
what option does the doctor have but to do what the patient is wanting? I think we'll find out. Um, I think some doctors will still want to make their own diagnoses. And if we don't confront that as part of the reality of technology adoption, uh, we're just picking a fight that we shouldn't pick. We should find a way to have the doctors welcome the technology. And isn't that true across the entire range of technology that uh, it's one nifty thing for the scientist to say, wow, look what I can do, but quite another for the end user to say, wait a minute, look what you're doing. Yeah, technologists always want to push their technology. They always see only the good part of it, and they always push it as if it's going to do a lot of good things. And of course it will, but it's going to take more than that. The consumer needs to carefully, I guess, listen to the technology. Is there being effort spent by the technologists to adapt consumers to uh, what I would call the ergonomics side of it? It's one thing to build a chair, but it's another to get people willing to sit in that chair. So is there as much attention being devoted to that side of the equation? I think there always is secondarily. So initially, you know, inertial sensors might be our good example. They were a technology being pushed out. Uh, consumers had no idea what they were, what they were good for. But they knew that when their car crashed, their car could sense that it was crashing and launch an airbag. And that was all based on inertial sensing. That was, you know, the consumer didn't need to understand the technology behind it. They just understood the benefit. They just understood the benefit. So I think that's kind of always going to be the case. Because as a technologist, it's very hard not to get very wrapped up in the technology you're developing. I'm still a very still a very hands-on scientific developer. And so I worry about, can I make this technology just work? And I'm so glad when that finally happens. And then you move to, can I make it work well? Can I make it work every time? Can I make it work for this amount of money? Can I get it out into the field in a way that's going to get used because it's affordable? So you need to make it transparent and easy for the consumer so that they don't feel, feel threatened. From robots to 4D printing, each week on The Truth About Money, we'll examine the financial implications of technologies like these and how they're reshaping our world. So that's this week's outtake from my public television show. This uh, coming week in New York, June 10th and 11th at Lincoln Center, Singularity University is presenting the Exponential Finance Conference, the first time ever they've created a program specifically for the financial services industry, a two-day event covering topics of artificial intelligence, big data, 3D printing, exponential medicine, capital innovation, digital biology, networks and computing, digital currencies, cybersecurity, and exponential organizations. I'll be speaking at the event uh, on its first day uh, alongside Peter Diamandis, the uh, co-founder of Singularity University, and uh, it's... um, uh, going to be a really fascinating set of conversation, predominantly attended by Wall Street professionals. If you're interested in it, you can go to singularityuniversity.org and learn more about the event as well, which will be June 10 and 11 in New York City. Uh, our, that is not to interfere at all with the seminars we are creating for you. Uh, and that event is handling your retirement account. There is no question that this is the dominant conversation for so many Americans. How do you save for retirement when no one is really helping you out? You can't count on pensions. You can't count on your employer. Your future retirement security is all up to you. And that's why I wrote my new book, which has been the number one bestseller this past spring, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. And the seminar is based on that book. It covers how to invest money even when you think you can't afford to, how to 
manage the account, how to choose the investments for it, how to generate income in retirement, understanding target date funds, Roth accounts, beneficiary designations. The seminar is going to be this week in Ashburn, Uniondale, Staten Island, Manhattan, Novi, Woodland Hills, and Denver. Next week in Alexandria, Costa Mesa, Rocky Hill, Burlington, Richmond, and West Conshohocken. Get all the details online at rickedelman.com. You can register as w- there as well. It's $15 a person, 25 a couple. And everyone who attends gets a free copy of my number one bestseller, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. Let's head off to Fort Lauderdale. Steve's on the phone. Welcome to the program, Steve. Yes, hi, Rick. Um, I've listened to your show for a long time. Um, matter of fact, I uh, shortly have an appointment with one of your um, advisors. My question has to do with reverse mortgages. I've heard you talk about them before. I don't think it's a product that, that you've been thrilled about. But I just wanted to go over it with you because I'm 71 years old and mm-hmm. I'm about to go into retirement. It's not something I need to survive, but I was just curious as to whether uh, the product may be um, of advantage uh, to me at this time. Tell me the value of your house. Uh, the house is valued about four and a quarter. Is there a mortgage on it? Uh, there is um, an inequity, so that's about 200, 190, 200,000. Okay. And are you married? I'm married. Children? Uh, children grown. Do you have other assets and savings? I do. I have pensions of about $50,000, and I have Social Security. My wife and I have that. And do you have any any money in investments, brokerage accounts, IRAs, etc.? Uh, I have four fifty sevens at, at work. Um, there's probably about um, $300,000 uh, currently. And what's your motivation for a reverse mortgage? Um, the only motivation was perhaps just having that money available and not having the expense of the mortgage and the equity each month may just make things a little easier and give us more spending money. Is money a little tight right now? um, We're fine right now. I'm just concerned as to how it's going to be in retirement, which is why I'm going to one of your your folks shortly. Gotcha. Um, Here's the, let me give you the fundamental background on how the loan works. You would have to pay off the current mortgage. Uh, of one hundred and eighty, two hundred thousand dollars, and the uh, lender will then give you a monthly income based on the remaining equity of the house. So the other two hundred thousand, roughly, in equity in the house would be the basis of their calculation. The amount of income they give you is based on your age and your wife's age, and and you will receive this monthly income. It's a fixed amount of income for as long as you stay in the house. If you move out, say, to a nursing home or you just decide to move, then the loan has to be repaid. The concern we have with the reverse mortgages is that the uh, amount of money they will give you on a monthly basis is much lower than you would probably expect, and it isn't going to make a meaningful difference in your life. Second, the interest rate they charge, the fees and expenses layered on top of that, are so high that it really becomes a bad economic deal. What you're far better off doing in most cases is either selling the house now and moving to a cheaper house, freeing up all the equity you have, because you've got a quarter of a million dollars almost in equity in the house, and Which using... Which my wife doesn't want to do. Uh, understood. I understand. Uh, so that's one idea is to do that. Or increase the value of the mortgage right now using that cash outlay to generate the, the income you need. But I'm not sure any of the above is necessary because you said that you've got pensions and Social Security plus $300,000 in other savings and investments in retirement accounts, yes. money you're not yet using to generate income, which you could be using. And I think that you will discover that you'll be able to generate the income you need out of that $300,000 to make the conversation about a reverse mortgage unnecessary. This 
premise will be verified when you meet with my colleague in the next couple of weeks. We'll be able to go through the math in greater detail than I can do in 30 seconds here on the radio. But I think you're going to discover that while the reverse mortgage is an interesting idea, keep in mind it is always available. It's not a question of use it now or lose it. You can always do it in the future. The longer you wait, the better the deal gets. So that gives you an incentive to delay the effort for a reverse mortgage and tap instead into the $300,000 you have saved, which you're not doing as yet. So I think, Steve, that you're right to consider it, but I think you're going to discover it isn't really uh, worthwhile. Okay, well, I appreciate the information. I'll meet with your representative, and we'll see how it uh, works out. Yeah. I just wanted your opinion on it. So there you have it. So thanks so much for calling, Steve. I really appreciate it. And when we come back, more of your questions here on The Rick Edelman Show. Stay with us, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's the number to call. If you have a question like Steve, you want to talk with me or one of my colleagues, 888-752-6742, or visit us online at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Celebrating more than 25 years of providing financial education and advice, this is The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. We're taking your phone calls, 888-PLAN-RICK. Tom's in Fairfax. He's up next. How are you, Tom? I'm doing great. How can I help? So in late December, uh, I was very concerned about the state of the market because it really seemed overvalued. The Buffett indicator was high. P.E. seemed to be high historically. So uh, the first savings plan is our family's primary uh, savings for the future. So I consolidated out of equities and moved into the G fund. Uh, pretty substantial. I was at like 80-20 stocks and G, uh, 20 for G funds, and I went to 50-50. And of course, now I've missed on some additional run-up, and the Buffett indicator is even higher, and market continues to seem very overvalued, but I'm missing out. So my question for you is, do I basically parse some back into the equities rather than being a 50-50? I want you to stop this game, Tom. Um, how old are you? Fifty years old. And when do you plan on leaving federal service? Probably within the next ten years. Will that be total retirement, or you'll just go to the private sector or something else? Uh, kind of depend on how I feel at the time. Right now, planning on total retirement okay. and enjoying. Good for you. Visiting the country. Good for you. So you have a 10-year time horizon. What you're trying to figure out, what you tried to figure out a few months ago, was what was going to happen next in the stock market. That didn't work out well for you, and you're faced again with the same question. What will happen next in the stock market? Because you're trying to put your money where it, it will best perform. And that's the flaw. It's an impossible question to effectively answer. And in fact, you not only have to answer the question correctly, you must answer the question correctly twice, not just once. Because if you're going to decide to get out of the market, you also have to later decide when to get back in. And no one has ever demonstrated an ability to consistently answer the question correctly. Sure, a lot of people get lucky and get it right one time, but that doesn't mean that they're able to repeat that performance and certainly on an ongoing basis. So let's change the question. Instead of trying to answer a question that is really difficult to answer, Let's answer a question that's easier to answer. Instead of trying to figure out if the market is going to have a correction in the next day, week, month, or six months, or whatever, answer me this. 
Do you believe the stock market will be higher 10 years from now than it is today? Probably. Then you should be fully invested today. It doesn't matter if the market falls in the next six months, because 10 years from now, it'll recover and be higher. So if you stay focused on the long term, it's far easier to be right. And now you only have to be right once. It doesn't matter what happens along the way. This is why we were so flummoxed at so many people in 2008 who were panicking and selling their investments. Millions of Americans sold during the panic of 08, fearful that the markets would fall even further. And our attitude was, why are you selling? You aren't planning to use the money now. Your goal is 10 or 20 years away. If we're still convinced the markets will be higher in 10 or 20 years, what happens this summer is irrelevant. So instead of driving yourself crazy, because even if you become convinced of what is going to happen next and you make the decision to buy or to sell as a result, you're just going to drive yourself crazy because you're faced with another decision. When do I rebuy or resell? And you're going to find yourself forced to make that decision on a constant basis. This is the difference between market timing and long-term investing. The market timer is constantly struck with when do I buy, when do I sell? It's the hare as opposed to the tortoise. They both end up at the same place pretty much at the same time, but the tortoise has a much more convenient, predictable, steady, and lower risk process to achieve it. So rather than trying to maximize the return going from, you know, should you be 80-20 or should you be 50-50, I would argue focus on the long term, establish an investment uh, portfolio diversification designed to meet that long term view and then ignore it for another eight years. Until you're within two or three years of using the money, which in your case is seven or eight years from now, pay no attention. Establish your portfolio and then ignore it. And I'll give you two different ways you can do this for you, Tom. One is to go back to your 80-20 portfolio. Since you said the market will be higher in 10 years than it is today, that tells you to go back to your 80-20 portfolio right now. On the other hand, if you're a little nervous that you won't be able to stomach intermediary volatility, if you're just, you know, I know myself, if the chocolate cake is in front of me, I'm going to eat it, even though I know I'm not supposed to. If If I go through volatility, I will sell, even though I know I'm not supposed to. If you're fearful of that, then stick with your 50 50 portfolio. And here's why that's not a bad thing. I gave the statistics earlier in the program for those of you who may have missed it. Since 1926, a portfolio of 100% stocks earned about 10% per year. The S&P 500, your C fund in the thrift savings plan, gained 10% per year since 1926. But a portfolio that's 60-40 gained 9%, but did so with half the risk. So if you're willing to give up a little bit of the return, but a lot of the risk, then stick with your 50-50 and you'll have your cake and eat it too. You'll get the vast majority of the return you want, but much less risk and a much higher sleep easy factor so that you can convince yourself it's okay to stop paying attention to what's happening on a daily basis. Okay? Thanks. You're very welcome, Tom. I appreciate it. And in fact, reading um, my new book, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs, is exactly what Tom needs to do 
because it addresses the issue of how to manage the money in your retirement plan. Tom is trying to figure out, should he market time his investments in his retirement plan? How does he build the asset allocation effectively? Should he have most of the money in stocks? And there's a difference between how do you manage this current paycheck? Do you put the current paycheck 80-20 or the current paycheck 50-50? And then what do you do with the current balance? Because there are two different ways to invest. One is how you invest the current paycheck. Another is how you invest the current balance. And my book, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs, goes into that in great detail, as does the seminar on that very same subject, which you can get full information about at my website at rickedelman.com. Handling your account correctly versus incorrectly can translate to hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. And I really don't want to see you spinning your wheels and treading water, trying to do what's right, when in fact you're all simply doing it wrong. Hope that's been helpful. I'm Rick Edelman. Thanks for joining me this weekend. Enjoy the summertime weather, and I'll see you again next week. Triple H Plan Rick, rickedelman.com. See you next week. The truth about money every weekend on the Rick Edelman Show. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.